in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Moon Tea Podcast. I'm John. This is Hugh. And today we're going to be exploring Bitcoin and more specifically, uh, just playing around with the idea of what do we think happens to Bitcoin after the year 2140. Uh, disclaimer, neither of us really know what we're talking about, but maybe uh, if you do know, if you do know more, or maybe if we're wrong about something, you can, you can uh, email at us or tweet at us and, and uh, or come on to our show. So yeah, well, also we're the ones with the microphone. So so <laughs> um yeah and so uh the i think the premise of this episode was uh the the end of last episode episode number four uh we started getting into a really cool discussion about uh 2140 and kind of saved it for today and hugh do you want to provide some more background into that yeah, sure. So 2140. What is going to happen, John, Kim? What is going to happen? The background on the story from the last episode, for those who weren't tuning in, was we were beginning to dive into a bit more of just blockchain and Bitcoin. And how does Bitcoin, with a finite amount of 21 million tokens ever to be uh, created, how does it last the, the the expanse of time past 2140 when the final token is arguably to be minted and how does the monetary system work then how would how much would one bitcoin or a satoshi even cost and whether mm -hmm. or not that's feasible and we were discussing a few things about inflation and centralized banking and whether or not bitcoin should even become the world's reserve currency and if so why that's a lot to unpack there. Like, first of all, if Bitcoin was alive in 2140, that would be pretty wild by itself. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> Dude, because yeah. because e even like, how often do we change our world reserve currency? Isn't it like every, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like not, I think it's like every 50 years or something. I'm going to, I'd have to look this up before I say anything, but like, what are the chances that the US dollar is even the world's reserve currency in 2140? Oh, very minimal. I think, isn't it the Great British Pound is the only currency that's ever survived for so many hundreds of years and everything else has been deflated down to nothing or <laughs> inflated to nothing? Uh, let's look it up before we uh, just kind of talk out of our, out of our asses. Cool. So the US dollar, oh, so it's a percentage. So like they have an index. So the US dollar right now is at like 60% of global currency reserves. All right, let's not get into it that much. Uh, the, I think the point of the episode today was that uh, in the year 2140, the last piece of Bitcoin will be mined. Uh, Let's pretend that we don't have fractions of Satoshis, which, which may complicate things. Um, and so, the, so the, if, if we do reach that year, the question becomes, is 
the Bitcoin network still going to be around? Is it going to be stable and secure? How are miners going to be rewarded? Um, and I have my opinions, and I'm sure Q, Hugh has his opinions and his questions and his skepticisms. Um, so, yeah, what's what's going on in your mind, Hugh? Well, right back at you. Where should we start, John? Where do you want to unpack? Where do you want to go? Yeah, well, I I have I have my theory about what is going to happen, and I'd I'd love for anyone to poke holes into it. Uh, so let's I hear think, it. I think what's going to happen is mining fees are going to get really expensive for on-chain on-chain transactions. I think we're still oh. Last week, I said that a Bitcoin block size was 10 megabytes. I was wrong. It's actually one megabyte. Um, so I think, I think we'll still have one megabyte block sizes, which is really small. And, uh, and I think the transaction costs of an on-chain transaction will be a lot more expensive in 120 years than it is today. Um, the way I imagine it happening is that we'll have uh, kind of like kind of like this like a, like a pyramid of lightning network nodes and so like for every for every like blockchain block you have one lightning uh network node or like one it's like one block is one node and then you have lightning network nodes under that but then you have other lightning network nodes that get connected connected to those nodes so it becomes this uh this uh tree of nodes anyways hopefully hopefully that visual makes sense but the what i was thinking was that the lower you are uh the number like the lower you are in terms of levels down this tree the less security you have but the benefit is that the cheaper the transaction. And the higher you go up, the more security you get. Uh, and and uh, yeah. And so I suspect that if we do go about this model, then the, uh, the on-chain transactions will mostly be lightning, lightning network nodes directly under it that are, I guess, like detaching or like settling a transaction. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my theory about how it could happen. And it kind of answers the question or addresses the question of number one, how are we going to pay miners for keeping the blockchain secure? Number two, how are we still going to have transactions and how are we going to like, quote unquote, compete with the Visa network, which I don't think we necessarily have to do, but that's another discussion. Um, and yeah, uh, there, are, there are other layer two solutions that I think could make this more complex. Maybe there's something really like, uh, there's this thing called atomic swaps, which, which, uh, it's kind of like freeways. It's like if I if I send a Bitcoin to someone else, like the idea behind it is maybe the lightning uh, or maybe Litecoin's uh, network is a lot like cheaper and like less congested. So it'll 
it'll like quickly convert to lightning or quickly convert to Litecoin, send the transaction and then quickly convert back to Bitcoin. And like neither party will know what exactly happened. Uh, just like if we, if you and I go to a website, like we're not, we're not thinking about like HTTPS and like TCP and, and uh, all, all these things that like kind of magically happen in the background. So that's my monologue. That's a few things. And um, that's how I, that's my theory about how all of this stuff could work out in 120 years when we're both dead. I love it. Okay, so let's unpack this a bit. I, I'm so curious, John, for people who are listening, I have a feeling that at least one person out there was probably like, wait, I made it this far. That was amazing, John. However, what do some of these terms mean? Could you re, re give us a quick refresher on just what the Lightning Network is versus or in respect to the, the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin? Uh, the, yeah, the Lightning Network is a protocol for sending and receiving transactions. It's, it's off-chain or layer two, uh, which means that it's not directly on the blockchain. And it's, it's a, I think it was proposed like around 2015, probably wrong about that. Uh, but it is in use today, but it's not widely adopted yet. I love it. Now, so, in 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 respect to just how Bitcoin works, there are blocks that you say are up to one megabyte or are one megabyte, mm -hmm. and those are the the basically like the payloads or the things that hold all of the transactions in that given ten minute slot or whatever gets put into that that block um, and that's how the transactions are then minted or into the the, the ledger right mm -hmm. okay so if there's a finite amount of space in one block which is one megabyte of transactions worth of data basically what i'm hearing is in the year 2140 or even now when there are things that don't make it into that block because there's just too much competition for it and the prices would then go up for getting your transactions into that. There are other solutions like Lightning, which are layer two and off-chain, which are then able to kind of distribute that workload and distribute the amount of transactions that are being done at a cheaper scale, but then roll them back up into the main blockchain of Bitcoin and have those transactions be... Um, both verified and, and stored on the ledger. Yeah. Nice. You have any other, you have any theories about, about, uh, what, what like, and I think, I think the idea in, is that the big picture in the big picture of things by the year 2140 rewards from Bitcoin mining will go down as hopefully rewards from, or uh, rewards from the Bitcoin network will go down proportionally and proportionally to uh, actual like mining fees. 
So yeah, what happens then though at 2140 when the last block has ever been mined, when miners don't have any incentive to get rewarded, how do they get rewards in the end? Is it off of transaction fees? Yeah. Okay. And what I was hearing you say is it sounds like it's really cool. So it seems like there's that pyramid scheme, not a, not a taboo word, but they're basically like a pyramid of different security levels you were mentioning. And at the topmost mm -hmm. security where it's the hardest to get into the block, that's the main chain, right? And then you distribute mm -hmm. it down into different layers of securities for and price points, it sounds like, for verification of your transaction or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's my that's my theory. I think that's if the Lightning Network is widely adopted and widely used. And if my understanding of it is correct, um, again, I'm just some guy and there are people who know more than I do. And I, I, I and for anyone listening, like both, both Hugh and I want to uh, learn more about this. So like, please, please reach out to us and like, God, if you know, like, more, yeah. Yeah, definitely DM us, get on here. Please teach yeah. us. If you know the more, I hope by episode 50, <laughs> we can re address this conversation and we'll just be that much more skilled. Um, but yeah, I, that makes sense. So I, I, I don't understand how security things work with regards to blockchain transactions, especially Bitcoin transactions work. And then I don't understand how when you're at pyramid level one compared to pyramid level five lightning and lightning level 50, how the security really will be different when they all roll up into the same thing. And also, yeah, I, I, I don't understand. Would there be a service that I would look at and be like, oh, I want a level 34 security practice payment that I'll pay for for verifying my transaction to John when I send him this T set or pay for this T set he gave me. I don't know. I have no idea. I suspect that. I suspect that uh, if it is widely adopted, like most people won't know that it's being done in that way. Weird. Really? That's yeah, weird. I, I suspect that there will be a variety of uh, payment services that kind of attach themselves to the, to the uh, Bitcoin network and, and just uh, transact like through it or like attach a node. Hmm. Um, See, that kind of makes sense to me. So like when a user or a person buys something with a credit card, a piece of plastic, in the future, what I have come to believe and, and think is going to happen is whether it be Bitcoin or some other blockchain technology or token, we're going to be using that technology under the hood, but we're still going to be using uh, a plastic piece of thing, swiping it possibly, or I guess we may be into biometrics by then. But with regards to that, um, is is I can see how Bitcoin could possibly because like Visa is starting to use it now, right? Like they're actually starting to transact with it, or they're trying to build the layer on it. Man, I need to read more. There's something I just I just saw the headline. I'm I'm not gonna pretend <sighs> yeah, like I, I, I have a hot take on uh, what Visa is doing. <laughs> I need to read more on that because it would be interesting, right? Like if Mastercard's Visa or just banking networks in general, like some banks have Zelle, 
what if mm -hmm. and or i know that you know ripple was trying to to be a big partnership with banks and build that banking solution and such but they didn't do too well and such so i don't hmm. oh man we gotta learn yeah. more um so i I'm, i think and and i i didn't make up this analogy i i uh heard it from andreas antonopoulos but uh so if you think of if you think of telephones like the earliest telephones were connected to like literal wires and like literal uh, like switch boxes and there was someone somewhere that would pick up the phone and be like where do you want me to route your call and then a few decades later we had the internet um phone companies got scared but like if you if you look at it now like we phones use uh some level of the internet to provide like fast uh fast and like clear communication and so the thing that they were scared of became a tool to make that service better uh and i and i suspect that in the same way bitcoin will be uh the monetary network that visa and mastercard and other uh other credit card services will use to um, to issue settlement like between banking institutions um, and yeah I suspect I suspect that that could happen like I think the way the way I look at Bitcoin long term is that and this is this is copied from Michael Saylor but uh, that it, it becomes the monetary network and you choose to plug in to the monetary network or not. Um, and yeah, and then I, I, I suspect that the credit card service is like what they're really good at, which is quick and easy, buying stuff, going to the grocery store, like buying, like making, making that seamless transaction happen. Uh, like if it could just be attached to the monetary network and like be a tool to to like make that cheaper for them to to use um make it more secure all these things do i know exactly how that's going to work no i don't but i'm just uh playing we're just playing with ideas here so there's like thousands of altcoins and coins and blockchain tokens and such that are out there now mm -hmm. and there's you know top 10 market cap coins are they have quite a lot of money in them now in 2140 will it just be bitcoin or how do other coins come into play or what what would it look like possibly since again we're pipe <laughs> just making it up yeah and and again i have no idea <laughs> um but I, I guess, how do they like, play together? How did they, what's mm -hmm. the point? Like, why don't we just have Bitcoin? Why do we have all these other things? Yeah. Um, and to be fair, I don't have a good answer to that question, which is why I mostly have just Bitcoin. Like I don't, I don't have most of the other altcoins, but I, I think so. like Litecoin, for example, um, 
I think has a pretty interesting value proposition, uh, which is that uh, development and testing on the Litecoin network can be done a lot quicker than it is on the Bitcoin network. And so it becomes like a test net for Bitcoin. Um, I know Bitcoin already has a testing ecosystem, but it's, uh, from my understanding, it's kind of with like fake money. And so if Litecoin does something and it works and it's good, then that becomes a, a, a big incentive for Bitcoin devs to adopt the same thing. Um, and that's kind of what happened with a uh, segregated witness in 2016 or 2017. Um, and uh, I, I think I think Ethereum will still be around. Like, I think with Ethereum, you understand more so than I do, but like, I can see how decentralized applications get really good and they do really cool things and we'll be like, okay, people are willing to pay for gas fees. All right, well, let's, let's use it. What do you think? I actually really want to learn more about Litecoin. That's one that I've invested in just a bit and I don't fully understand the technology and behind the, under the hood. So that is one that I do want to look up next. From what I understand, there are a few that I am quite interested in right now. Right, you've got Bitcoin, um, tried and true, deflationary peg, and the first mover of of all of it, and still making it, making waves. But then, of course, you've got Ethereum, which I think are really interesting for the decentralized applications and the dApps. Um, and then you've also got NFTs being built on it, but they also, uh oh, um, yeah. So, but they also have really high gas fees recently since they switched on over. Uh, did the gas fees recently happen since that switch in December to V2.0 of the Ethereum uh, fork? I don't remember, but um, uh, I think I think the gas fees are high just because the price of Ethereum is high. And the price of Ethereum is high because people are... I don't I think it's more I think right, it's they, kind they, of... Are you talking about in December they they uh, released a uh, proof of stake? Yeah, they like Ethereum. switched over. Yeah, they. I mean, oh, man, give, give us a few episodes and I'll be more intelligent on this for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's adopted yet. I suspect different... that it takes some time. Yeah, I think. Yeah, so there's ways in which. A, a, requests for improvements are, are introduced um, and then they're adopted by the community. There are three types of people. Man, let's go back to this. In two episodes, three episodes, I'm coming <laughs> back to this. I don't want to even talk about it. But anyways, at, a, at Ethereum's really cool. And then I find Chainlink to be really interesting um, link. And then I also think that Filecoin with IPFS is super interesting. And I also think that, um, what was it? Court, Ada, Court Cardano, Stellar are in really interesting. Um, and none of this is financial advice, of course, but these are just things I find interesting to research. But yeah, Filecoin is really interesting, I think, because it's basically, you know how Amazon Web Services have mm -hmm. massive server farms and they own all of your data? Or Google has it too, and their storage or Azure. 
what I really enjoy about this whole concept of decentralization and blockchains in general is that people are trying to figure out a way to create a decentralized database slash um, just a, a way for people to decentralize data storage so that it's not just held by one institution and owned by them. And then you have it cryptographically hashed and controlled and safe and you pay for that to random people who can then be quote unquote miners, but I guess are server farmers. And that would be really cool. So uh, just a fun little tidbit. I, I, it's gone up like 25% in the past two days and like 50% in the past like month. So it's, it's a pretty interesting coin. Nice. <laughs> um, but did you quit the day job yet? <laughs> I didn't put enough into that. I wish I did. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was a bit scared. I'm still, yeah. Don't invest in technology until you understand it. Only invest what you think you can afford or okay with losing and are okay with just not even thinking about whether it goes up or down, I guess, if you're going for long term. I I disagree with that sentiment, by the way. Really? Tell me more. Why? The idea of investing what you can afford to lose, I think, is like such a newbie mindset. All right. Um. I, I won't I won't go too much into it, but I think I think people should only invest in uh, what they're willing to buy more of if that thing goes down. The difference between investing and in what you're willing to lose and investing in something, I think they go both hand in hand. Yeah, but I'm like. Like Warren Buffett isn't, he's not, he's not like, oh, I'm willing to lose this. I'm going to buy this insurance company. Like he's done his research and, and he, okay. I don't, I don't want to bring Warren Buffett into this. He invested in Exxon Mobil, And I think, I think he made a really bad decision in doing that. <laughs> so I won't, I won't bring him into this, but um I think in a in a general sense, like it should be more like you should be willing to put in money that you don't you won't need for the next ten years. Like I'd I'd rather I'd rather hear that than like oh be willing to lose. Yeah, I guess it's funny when I think about it. I guess when I invest in just securities in the stock market, I don't really think about what I'm willing to lose because I don't really think most any of those stocks will go to zero. But mm-hmm. that sentiment and that statement has come about most often when I talk about investing in crypto slash Bitcoin mainly mm-hmm. and just blockchains in general. So I see what your point is on it does kind of propagate a fear for no real major reason when the technology is starting to be proven and, and really there's so much investment and foundational support by big institutions now that there's a very low chance that Bitcoin would go to zero if anytime soon, just like any company can go bankrupt and go to zero at any time and any time in the future. Um, yeah, I think Bitcoin is less likely to go to zero than Amazon is, than, than the chance of Amazon going to zero. Like if, if I think about, if I think about if I was going to be in a time, like a be frozen for a hundred years, would I rather buy Amazon or Bitcoin? I think I would I'd rather most buy definitely Bitcoin. buy, yeah, most yeah. definitely buy Bitcoin. Yeah, without a doubt. 
without a doubt yeah yeah imagine coming out and being like oh world's reserve currency it's the uh everyone's monetary network i can go to mexico and still buy the same thing like i don't have to worry about uh about currency conversions but you know i thought i i heard this interesting thing i was in line to get my second vaccine yesterday for about two hours and i listened to a good amount of antonopolis and it was fantastic something i actually heard that you you when you're talking just now it made me remember and think about that i was like whoa i've never thought about it in that light with regards to bitcoin 21 million world reserve currency whether that'll happen and just how to think about investing in bitcoin and whether or not you should do it and whether or not you should think it should go to zero because now i realize the flaw in my ways. Thank you, John. That no, that's great. So, what I actually thought was very interesting was there's kind of this difficulty for people now to buy into Bitcoin because it's so high, quote unquote, per, in their perspective, for one Bitcoin. And there's there's a psychological phenomenon that it's it's not really is it pegging? It's like the the unit phenomenon or something where you want a unit of something. And if you can't have a unit of it, then you feel like you're lesser than, or you, if you don't own one Bitcoin, mm. a lot of people that I was listening to in that podcast, they're like, yeah, I would feel just bad or something. And I'm just like, that's what people say. And it's like, you know, I like what they were discussing about that of like, you know, that's really not the most healthy way to think about it. Because if you really think about it, there's a hundred million Satoshis in one Bitcoin. And there are 20, so there are t- just at a high level, there's 21 million Bitcoin that will ever be produced. If people got on the train really early, you were able to get 10,000 Bitcoin for a few bucks, right? And then mm-hmm. that's the first tier. And then the second tier is then it was a dollar. So then there was 21 million coins that could have been bought for a dollar if they were sold on the market. And then basically what happens is if you as a group of 21 million each had one that means that if someone had one bitcoin there would be 21 million people with one bitcoin and that's cool like no one will Mm -hmm. ever be able to have more than that or less than that it would just be that but Mm -hmm. then there's another tier so those are the people like that are there there's the people with 100 bitcoin or a thousand bitcoin or the genesis block of what is it a hundred of a million bitcoin or something um but once you go down then there's the next tier. And it's like, what tier do you want to be in of Bitcoin? Then it'll go down to the 0.1 tier of Bitcoin, which would have, or the 0.5 tier of Bitcoin, which would have 42 million people. And then go down even more to the 0.1. And 0.1, was it 0.01? You would own 1 million Satoshis. So I thought that was really cool, is having people think about it as not owning 0.01 Bitcoin, but owning 100, uh, but owning but being a person who owns 1 million Satoshis and that's really cool because again, it's an investment vehicle. And basically the way I like to think about it, at least is, you know, the internet back in 1990, 2000s, when it was still being developed and we had the dot-com boom, everybody Mm -hmm. was able to buy URLs and domain spaces like cats.com or whatever. Mm -hmm. And 
right now, those types of .com domains are selling for fifty dollars to $100,000 plus $500,000, depending if they're like four or five letters .com. So that's the only thing that people could really invest in and a few other things, but you could never really buy a piece of the internet. But I once heard in, in, a, in a discussion with someone asked somebody when they asked that type of question was, if you could have had the opportunity to buy a bit of Manhattan, would you? And people would be like, yeah, of course I would buy a bit of Manhattan because you know how much those sky rises are and apartment complexes are. And you, mm-hmm. you've got the people who live in a mansion there. You've got the people who live in a house. You've got the people who live in a uh, four bedroom apartment and a person who lives in a one bedroom apartment that's 500 square feet. How mm-hmm. much do all those cost? And they scale down in not infinitely, but they scale down pretty small. Now, with regards to that, that's kind of what Bitcoin is and or just blockchains in general, even Ethereum and such. You can basically buy a piece of the internet or you can basically buy a piece of Manhattan and you're literally actually buying a piece of it. So you're buying the foundational architecture that the future possibly is going to be built on. And I think that's a really cool hedge to even think about. And whether or not you should invest in it because you're okay with just having that money not be touchable for 10 years, that's fine. I think that's a cool way to think about it. But I do think that to any of my friends that are listening or have made it this far, I I definitely think it is an interesting idea. And again, this isn't financial. I don't know what the line is for financial advice, but this is what I think is interesting is getting to own a million Satoshis. I think that's a really cool goal. And if you can figure out what a million Satoshis is, then you would be a one millionaire in Satoshis, right? Like that is pretty cool. And who knows how long it'll turn into a Manhattan apartment that is worth a bit, you know, and yeah, end statement. Yeah. I just, I just want to say that when you were talking about it's like owning a bit of Manhattan or, uh, betting on the internet, uh, no one knows for sure if this will be the next internet. Um, I suspect that it is. And I also think it's more risky not to have Bitcoin than to have Bitcoin. Uh, I think people should look into putting in at least 1%, reading about it, learning about it, and potentially put in more. That being said, uh, yeah, I guess we won't, like nothing is for sure. And so again, not financial advice, but definitely worth looking into. A lot, you lot know, of cool things going on. Can I send one Satoshi? If someone opens a wallet and DMs us, I will send them a Satoshi. You'll you'll spend way more than one Satoshi on, on a transaction fees. That's going to be a learning lesson. I've never sent anything to anyone on a blockchain. So the first person <laughs> that ever DMs me that isn't John... And they say, I want a Satoshi. I'll send it to you and pay whatever that transaction fee is. If you make a Litecoin wallet, I'll send you some. I think a transaction is like one cent. See, I don't know how how transactions work or wallets work because I just got a Trezor, right? And Mm -hmm. I haven't moved it away from my Coinbase cold storage wallet yet. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, I don't understand how you provision different hardware wallets. 
um, if you need to, or if you just have a hardware wallet address and it can store, as they're saying, many different types of coins, mm -hmm. not just Bitcoin, but any other coin. But it seems like from what I've understood, different hardware wallets have different coins that they can accept. There's like a limit to them. So some wallets can accept more or less like the MK3 wallet can only accept Bitcoin and it's built for that as super, super secure. But then there's other ones that can build, accept like a thousand different coins. Does that mean whenever a coin, if you store, you know, Litecoin, Bitcoin and Ethereum on a hardware wallet device, like a Trezor or a, uh, what was yours again? I, I just forgot. Ledger. Uh, a ledger. If you store it, are there three hardware wallets? Are there three wallets or is it one wallet and then you send out from an address? Like when does an address on each blockchain, each respective blockchain get created? And then, yeah, I don't know what I'm asking. Do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, I okay. uh, think it's important to note that our hardware wallets are just... Uh, little chips that hold on to private keys. So just like hold on to a- Looks like this. Yeah, this is it's, a just, it's just like a, it's just like like a, little, a small little USB thing. drive thing with a little screen. And then you like plug it in. Yeah. A little thing. And I haven't done it yet. I don't know how to do it. But it's, like... it's, yeah, it's just, yeah. it's just built to never expose the private key. That's it. Yeah, there's like a special chip in it that's de-heart, decentralized, that disconnected from like <laughs> de the hardware. Decentralized, decentralized God, um, that has security features and there are people that go really deep into never even connecting it to a computer or a device with internet and keeping it safe. But I don't know, to, yeah, to our extent, this seems fine. Yeah, I think what it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's just a software thing. Like uh, saving Litecoin is just, is just, saving the private key for that Litecoin address. And then you send it to the, you do. If I have a Trezor mm -hmm. and I want to store Bitcoin, Ethereum and Litecoin on it, mm -hmm. does this, I'm just going to have to do it, I guess, but would this give me a wallet address that is agnostic to the blockchain token that it would receive? Or does it give me per token an address that's unique that's on that chain it it has the private key of of that uh of that token so like for bitcoin it has the private key it knows to never expose it and the seed key you're talking about like the past key the seed no, I'm talking about the private key. So like the the long string that is a private key of a Bitcoin wallet. Oh, interesting. So it just it just there's a private and public address. Yeah. I was wondering yeah, about that like, recently actually. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of the Yeah, the the idea the idea behind it is the public address is the is the publicly facing wallet. That anyone can send, uh, can can send pieces of Bitcoin, or like send Bitcoin to, and anyone can see it. You can like look it up. It's like part of the blockchain, and then you only own. It's your wallet if you have the private key. Like that's that's the only thing, and the private the private key 
is linked to the public key. So like from the from the algorithm SHA-256. I don't know about algorithms. I've been meaning to look into it, but if you get the private key, it'll spit out the public key. So like it can be verified. Or if you have the private key, yeah, it'll verify that it's that public key. But but just from having the public key, you won't be able to find the just from having the public key, you will not be able to find the private key. Hmm. So the can, private can key I still is, see the funds in a in a wallet? Like, can you see all the transactions that went to that certain wallet or does the public key change every time? Because I was also wondering about security issues there. Like what if people send you something and then they know what your public key is forevermore and they can always just see whatever's coming in and out of it? Yeah, people can see what's coming in and out of it. Uh, and some, I think some wallets will have a thing where they make a new wallet every time. Hmm. But then I... Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's the idea behind the blockchain. It's like, it's there for everyone to see. Yeah. So, so I, there, I there, are, so. there are certain things that are being done to try to have some amount of privacy, but that's, that's uh, I guess for people who are really looking into privacy, you have like Monero and the other one. Um, Interesting. But, Monero. But yeah, the, okay. the, and then the seed in your hardware wallet to get onto the, to get access to the device is just the password that protects the private keys. That makes sense. Yeah. And sometimes they use a pin as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then that the was really cool learning mm -hmm. about that. Oh, go for it. What's up? Yeah. And then the reason why you connect it is so that it, I don't know what it does exactly, but then it it uh it uses the private key to to uh send a transaction. And that makes sense. Yeah, it, yeah, that makes sense. It's like the signature uh, on the hardware wallet. Once you unlock your hardware wallet with a pin and type in your seed phrase, it creates and whatever it unlocks that correct private key and then matches it yeah. in that blockchain header, sends it. And it's a, a verified transaction or authorized transaction. Got it. That's really you know cool. Be, you know, it'd be really cool hmm. if if Apple released a software update yeah, where every seriously. iPhone I don't had see why a, they don't do every it. every iPhone just became a hardware wallet, became integrated with Apple Pay, and I feel like they have to be working on it. Yeah, I think I I replied to a Paul Graham tweet, no one replied to, and he's like, "What's the next big thing?" And I was like, "I, I don't understand why." Apple wallet doesn't have the crypto blockchain hardware wallet supported like uh, a software wallet. It would be a soft wallet, but, mm -hmm. uh, man, cool. Yeah. I, I want to send it. I'm going to send it. I'm going to figure it out. I've been, I've had this on my desk for a few weeks now and I'm like, gosh, I need to, I need to take, you know what they say, not your keys, not your money not your coins not your tokens i don't know what it is not your keys wow, not your, not your coins. catchy <laughs> yeah have you heard it before yeah i have yeah okay <laughs> um cool cool great <laughs> what else let's see oh man hmm <laughs> tea break
Um, oh, I have a. I was in a. I was in a meeting today, and I was talking to uh, a person who does uh, the like. He does sales for my company to other brokers, I think. And then there was another person who, who, uh, yeah, they 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 talk to a lot of customers. Uh, and just for some context, my I work at a uh, market making firm called Berkshire Financial, but we're in the crypto business. Like we do market okay. making for uh, Canadian Bitcoin ETFs. No way. And I was I was asking them, uh, is the is the opportunity really big because Bitcoin is very volatile and and a lot of uh, financial services companies are like not uh, like haven't have not like made or are not providing like liquidity yet and so like because we're one of the early ones like is that a big opportunity and uh, he basically said you'd be surprised you'd be surprised how how many financial services companies are like in this space. So I believe yeah. it. Yeah, totally believe it. So yeah, Bitcoin is becoming its own asset class and um, yeah, it's just really, just really interesting to see. Uh, and then we do, we do business with Coinbase and Gemini. Really? Yeah. Wow. For market making? You're like, do you provide liquidity or? I think, I think what they do is, is uh, the ETF companies that track Bitcoin. Whenever there's, whenever they like, Basically, they're they're willing to bid a certain amount in order to like have that much Bitcoin, and then our system will will see when that amount has gotten big enough, and then it makes sense to do that trade. And so we'll we'll like provide the service that supplies the. Uh, I'm gonna pause. I don't understand it, and I don't understand it enough to explain it. But then our company does market making stuff, and they do a ETF ETF stuff. And I was asking questions, and then the person responded, and it sounded like he knew what he was saying. And I, I, uh, I'm still a newbie in the uh, market making world, so yeah, I'm not gonna pretend like I know this stuff. But I look forward to us in 10 weeks, dude. <laughs> Maybe 20. <laughs> so, we're, just, we're just puffing a cigar. Like, we know all this. Next day, we'll, we'll, I'll come visit you someday. Once this quarantine's over, we'll have a, a cigar on and record next to each other. It's funny because it was being explained to me and I was just like, wow. Dude, amazing. it makes sense when they tell you, right? And then you, yeah. it's like, how do you explain it yourself? And it's so hard sometimes. You're like... How does a private key work on a treasure? I'm like, I thought I knew that, and then I just forget. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's like when you it's like when you read something hard and you're like, I think I get it. 
Yeah. And then and then you realize you have no idea when someone <laughs> someone like asks you about it and you try to teach it and you're like, like okay, oh, I know nothing. I just, to, I just need to stop. Yeah, it's like episode what was it one or two when you're talking about the artist that you met and they like explored the world and expressed the world of art to you and you're like, whoa. If you try to like explain that though in your own words, you'd probably be like, no. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a pile of tongue on the wall with this no connotation. I'm, I'm, yeah, this is why I'm only an aspiring artist right now. How is your art going? We're tangenting. Well, we need to come back. We need to put a peg to anyone who has made it this far through all of the, the, <laughs> the ramblings. I hope it wasn't too disappointing. <laughs> I'm not disappointed. We, good. <laughs> I, I do think that I'm going to go through all of this and scrub through it and just like deep dive into this and become... This is just something I need to learn. Yeah, dude. This is what we want to learn about. This is it. This is the future. And I have to, I love that Antonopoulos quote that in the same way that he was talking about the telephone lines and what, and you know, they were plugging into light bulbs because they didn't have electricity sockets. So they were plugging into like a light bulb socket for the, the laundry machine too and stuff. Um, that's how electricity kind of came about. But also the, the roads, I really like that analogy he makes of just how crypto and Bitcoin, especially we're still in the phases where we're on cobble streets. Well, from what I understand and believe we're on cobble streets and we have horses drawn carriages. And there's an, there's a story he said of the first car that went down that type of street was jumpy and clunky and bouncing all mm -hmm. around. And people were kind of like throwing rocks at it, laughing at it. And like, what is that thing? And it's a monster. It's hideous. And it couldn't really go far. Didn't have very many tweaks. Didn't have power steering. No seatbelts, dear God, what barbarians. But anyways, we're still on that level where we're just getting to, you know, the lightning network level two tier. So it's basically like putting down the cement and starting to build some streets on the, the, the town roads and whatnot. And then we're going to start to build more cars and such. So with that type of analogy, that's where I'm kind of like trying to, to go back to that thing where I was just listing things out and never really went, forgot to go into details of like, you've got... Bitcoin, which is the, the very foundation of everything, and it's really amazing type of currency that will exponentially, I don't know about exponential, but will keep going up, most likely. Um, then you've got other things like Ethereum, which the question is, does Ethereum fight against Bitcoin? And does Bitcoin fight against Ethereum? And I need to look more into Litecoin. Sounds like it's doing the same thing. But Ethereum is kind of a good place to R&D things that you can't do on Bitcoin. Um, Ethereum is kind of a place that's like a playground where there's the wild, wild west of rules and things get changed all the time. And things are just like things you can't do due to security reasons on Bitcoin and the blockchain there. You can do on Ethereum and the blockchain there and explore and, and they do a lot more rapid development in certain ways. So there's pros and cons to it. And then you've got things like Link, which I thought was interesting. So when you are creating a decentralized application off of an ERC, ERC20 type of token on, on Ethereum, um, for adapt, you can basically use link and supposedly link is a way in which it's the idea that I'm still trying to comprehend is it's trying to be a mediator between many different blockchains. So on the left, you've got different blockchains. And then on the right, you've got services like APIs and integrations tool. The best way I heard was a weather service. So how do you get a smart contract in Ethereum? Um, and I, I, I need, I haven't looked into smart contracts on Bitcoin, whether or not that's thing and how well it works but on ethereum you've got smart contracts and you can do rules and stuff like that and if it's pretty dumb right now so it's still cobble road where 
I thought it's a really interesting idea where uh, on Ethereum, if you create a smart contract and you say, hey, John, I'm going to pay you one Satoshi just for shits and giggles every time the weather drops below 60 degrees Fahrenheit in Arizona, just so you remember that you should come here um, to the donation fund. I can't do that right now unless I do some crazy integrations and make my own API requests and stuff. But with Link, supposedly, or other types of tokens in that sense, you're able to use them. And I don't understand how to bridge that gap between hitting that service API for what the weather is, the weather channel services, and or validating between multiple rather than just one. So you don't have a single point of failure for manipulating a, 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 a smart contract. You can use Link and then you can have that integrated into the Solidity smart contract or whatever on Ethereum and have that actionable. And I thought that was really cool. So like forevermore in infinite in infinity will uh, have Hugh paying John one Satoshi every time the weather drops below 60 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, like, I think that's really cool. Um, and then you've got, I don't understand how Cardano, Cardano and Polkadot really work. By the way, there are, there are thousands of coins. We can <laughs> I don't think we have the capacity to go through every speech. These are the top one. 10 market cap ones. These are why I think they're interesting. Yeah, but which which also change every few months. Yeah, I guess. But they're interesting because they have yeah. the top 10 sots. Yeah, I, uh, I think IOTA is also interesting. Have you heard of IOTA? I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. Tell me more. Yeah, so it's another... Fancy schmancy, uh, well, technically not a blockchain. It it runs on what they call a tangle, and every every node points to two other nodes, and then it becomes this like interlaced web of of a uh, mesh nodes, nodes or like yeah, yeah it's like transactions, mm -hmm. and the idea. The big value proposition behind it is that you have uh, zero transaction costs, and I think I think what happens, I think how they do it is, before you send a transaction, you verify two other transactions, and then and then you send a transaction for free. But then, like the more nodes that there are in the tangle, then the faster and more secure your entire network is. Don't ask me any more about it because I don't know anymore. I think that's cool. So uh, does this type of yeah. thing, though, kind of can, again, it goes back to the 2140 question. I, I'm still trying to understand, and especially anybody's listening to, you know, like, does investing as a hedge in blockchain technology and really a hedge in the future of what it looks like, especially in Bitcoin, who's the lead dog right now, does the does this like even the iota tangle mesh network for transactions is their goal okay maybe i'm asking you a question when you just said don't ask me more questions about it but it's like <laughs> are they trying to usurp bitcoin or are they trying to be just an extension of bitcoin that it doesn't do kind of like ethereum is trying to be an extension in a way i think some i think some iota super fans will tell you that it's trying to replace bitcoin hmm. i think there's room for both uh, so like, I think the big value proposition of IOTA is that uh, it enables this world of like smart devices, hmm. um, Never heard which of that uh, I wish, I wish I could, I wish you could like 
bring on an iota developer where they can explain it like it's it sounds really cool uh, added to the to-do list we're gonna bring yeah. on an iota developer someday dude i i'm yeah. so down for this to like if we could go as a 10-part series of the 10 market cap coins and bring on like one of a good person yeah someone someone who represents that coin or like is a super fan or and just have them super fan it and that would be so cool yeah i would love that sure all right or this is making a note we're gonna do this yeah we're we're going places um well it's a little past 5 p.m i have a reservation at the apartment gym at 5 p.m but i think I think we've had a pretty good discussion. Uh, just to summarize, what happens to Bitcoin in 2140? We're not totally sure. All of our other tangents, I don't know how to summarize that. Uh, dude, do you want to close? I think that's fantastic. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to episode five, I believe, of the Moon Tea podcast. It's John Kim and Hugh Berryman, your co-hosts. Uh, thank you again for standing, standing in there and listening and cheers until next week. Okay. Thanks everybody. Cheers.